there isn't a lot of um, literature addressing the question of sport fandom in um, West Africa um, and the study of um, West African football fandom on the internet and, uh, and social media has until now been glossed over and I guess my, my research fits into that gap and also in the fact that uh, with my research I found out that um, Man United in Pigeon has created a real sense of identity within uh, a cyber community. Hi there, welcome to another episode of the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That?, of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. I'm Dani, your host, and as a PhD candidate myself, I chat with peers hoping to learn some tips and tricks for the academic journey ahead. In this episode, I'm chatting with Wally Shannon Bossier-Long, whose academic journey brought him from Cameroon to the UK. Wally is a final year PhD candidate in media and communications at London Metropolitan University, researching what makes an unofficial Twitter account with over 70,000 followers on Manchester United so popular amongst West Africans and Nigerians. Before I properly introduce you to Wally, I'd like to invite you to follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where you can find out more about our guests and connect with early career researchers. If you're looking for more PhD advice, then check out our YouTube channel that is linked to the blog on our website and let us know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe. Now, back to Wally. Wally Shannon Mbassi-Long has a BA in Advertising from the Advanced School of Mass Communication in Yaoundé, Cameroon, and an MA in Media and Communication, which he completed with distinction at the London Metropolitan University. Wally is now in his final year of his PhD in media and communication at the same university in London. His thesis is titled Football Fandom, Globalization and Man United in Pigeon, in which he focuses on sports fandom, social media, globalization and cultural identity. Wally has worked as a research assistant at the Metropolitan on various projects and as a past facilitator, so he supported students doing their final projects. He is also a writer for Verve magazine, which is his university students' magazine. In the past, he has volunteered as a member of the Come Over Two Association that aims to promote public health and to protect the environment in Cameroon. He worked in several public health campaigns with this association, sensitizing the rural population on malaria, waterborne diseases, STIs and STDs. Lastly, you might recognize his voice from one of our YouTube videos in which 25 PhD students answer the question why they are doing a PhD in just one sentence. In addition to answering, Wally is the one at the end who sings, I don't know what to do with myself. So you should definitely check it out. Thanks so much for joining us today, Wally. I'm happy to have you as a guest. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. And uh, how, how are you? I'm good. I'm great to have another episode and to have another drink that comes with that. So I'm going to pour myself my regular amaretto. And what are you having? I'm going to drink from the bottle and it's um, apple and blueberry juice. Refreshing. Yeah. Okay. Let me pour this. And then ready to cheer and kick off. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, so are you ready for some short questions? Yep. Okay, here we go. The first one. What can you not do without in the morning? A shower. 
Yes. <laughs> That's a good answer. He's a... <laughs> I mean, it's the very first thing I do in the morning um, before anything else. Um, I have a shower. It helps me refresh my mind uh, and getting ready for a hard day because uh, days are always hard for me. Yeah, also another morning person like me. <laughs> cool. Exactly. Okay, another question is, what do you like about living in London? Uh, oh my God. Is that a difficult question? I'm, I'm, tempted, I'm, tempted, I'm tempted to say everything, but it's not true. Um, I will start with uh, open-mindedness um, um, and the fact that there is a room for every, everyone and everything in London and, and, and everyone lives his life as his or her life as he, he or she wants to. And um, this is what I like about London, really. That sounds good. So you have a chance to be who you want to be. Yeah, you you have the you have. I mean, coming from Cameroon, where um, which is also in a way good. Um, you're always being watched by your neighbor, by your family members, and and your friends. Here is a little bit different. You you have a little more flexibility on on the things you're able to do. Um, um, people are a lot less judgmental, which is okay. very good for me, anyway. And um, and I also like the fact that I'm alone here with no family members, so I um, <laughs> I can just about do everything and um, without thinking um, what I what are they gonna say or or think of me. Um, yeah, this is what I like about London. That being said, um, the fact that I'm, I'm alone here could have been the same in, in another part of, of the world mm-hmm. other than Cameroon anyway. So, yeah. So it's not only bad to be far away from family because obviously sometimes we'd miss them, but it's also not good not to be all. watched. For me anyway. <laughs> not at all. Okay, good. Then... Um, you've been in interviews uh, with other researchers and students before. Um, I've read one in which you gave advice for future research students. And I quote, you said, work hard, possibly without the play hard bit, or just a little, unquote. So <laughs> when you get to play hard, just a little bit, what is it you do? Right. Um, I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, so if I... When I play hard, I, I always do things that are considered serious. So I attend hard galleries, um, um, bookshops. I can I can spend hours in a bookshop um, looking for a new for new books to acquire. Um, these other sort of things. I also play tennis. Okay. I'm a lot into sports. Uh, so I play tennis, I go to the gym five days a week, um, I play football as well, um, and I listen to music, really, nothing heavy, I can, every now and again I can go to the pub and have a, a drink uh, with friends, or alone, preferably alone, um, and watch uh, football games and tennis games on, on the television, but nothing, nothing really heavy, I'm not a nightclub person really 
Okay, so it makes sense that um, even though you didn't say you play soccer yourself because you're doing tennis, uh, you are watching it also in the pub. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we'll get to that later and find out why, what Manchester United is and why it's so important to you. Um, but we're going to start at the very beginning. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your BA, which you have in advertising from the Advanced School of Mass Communication in Yaoundé in Cameroon. And you also have this MA in Media Communication from the Met in London. So what made you decide to really go into communication studies? The funny, <laughs> the funny thing is I didn't, I didn't want to go into that. I was sort of forced oh. into that by my mother. Um, I wanted to be a translator. Um, this was my dream and that has been my dream ever since I was, I think, 11 years old. Wow. Um, I wanted to be a translator. I wanted to, all I wanted to do is doing um, um, languages. Um, and that's why when I entered high school, I, I went into languages and literature to study, to keep on studying French, English, Spanish, and so on. Um, I used to speak a lot more languages than I do now. But, okay. um, and then when I graduated from high school, I mean, uh, I decided, I mean, I decided I wanted, before graduating from high school, I decided I wanted to be into, uh, into that translating word. And I wasn't open whatsoever to anything else. And, um, and in 2008, when I finally graduated from high school, um, my mother said to me, well, listen, you're not going to do that anymore. Um, you're going to, you're going to, Write that competitive entrance exam to join the Advanced School of Mass Communication. At first, I didn't want to because she knew and she she supported me towards that 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 goal. I said to her when I was eleven, "This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a translator." And she said, "Yeah, go for it, my son." And then she she suddenly changed her mind and and decided I was gonna. Do you know why she did? Uh, I mean, I, I remember that she said to me, who wants to be a translator in 2008 uh, when Google, Google Translate is here now and, you know, they're not going need, to be needed anymore and uh, uh, this is what happened. So basically, um, I could have been a, an engineer or anything else, but uh, I went into languages, deep into languages because I wanted to do that and... Um, the silly and naive person I was at the time uh, of that competitive entrance exam um, decided to um, prepare himself for for that examination, and okay. and obviously I I I passed that exam and I entered the advanced school of mass communication. Um, I can only say now that, and this is why I was singing in that video. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> it's uh, from that very moment, I, I felt lost. And the, the, the reason why I'm doing a PhD now in media and communication is because I didn't become a translator because had I been a translator now, I, I, I would have never been into a PhD position. But here we go. So again, we can always see the positive sides of something that might seem negative at first. Yeah. So you kind of passed this exam by accident, even though it was competitive. Yeah, I mean, not. I mean, I prepared for that exam, but yeah. When I think of it now, 
I wish I hadn't prepared, so I would have failed and, and, and studied my languages. And, and, but, I mean, I learned, I learned to love media and communication, and, and I always bring an element of language mm -hmm. whenever I do a, a project in media and communication. So, yeah, because in the end, you did successfully finish that BA. Yeah. Uh, and your mom must have been very proud. She was. But then you decided... <laughs> right. Then she, you <laughs> made it to uh, an MA abroad, right? So, so why yeah. was it London? Why not anywhere else in the world? And why did you decide to continue in communication studies? Well, to be honest, um, I don't have a clear answer to that. I, I guess... Because I was studying um, languages after graduating, I actually <clears throat> worked for over a year in an advertising firm as a mm -hmm. as a copywriter, and um, and I also I was also doing intensive English and Spanish classes. Okay. Um, and then and the English was there, and I was like, well, what if I study in 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 the United Kingdom a master. Um, I was thinking about studying abroad, but I was, just think, I was also thinking about having a break abroad. So the master was twofold, having a break abroad and, and having a master in, I mean, media, media and communication, um, because, well, it was too late, not too late, but I, I felt at the time it was too late to go back to um, languages and mm -hmm. being a translator so I was like why not continue anyway and um, and I said well not advertising is boring uh, <laughs> let me expand all my my opportunities or yeah my opportunities really and I went into the the vast array of media and communication so was it difficult to um, apply for a university abroad and did you think about it a little bit before, like if you would get in, how to manage by yourself in a different country, uh, maybe in a different academic system? And there's always the question of finances, right? The application process wasn't difficult at all, to me anyway. I mean, I applied to a lot of universities and all my applications were successful. Oh, um, nice. And then... I just decided it it would be London Metropolitan University because it was cheaper. Okay. And um, and another bit of my story is that when I graduated from the Advanced School of Mass Communication with the BA in advertising, um, my mother wanted me to do a master <laughs> straight after that, and I was like, I I don't want to. I listen. You have your BA in in advertising now. It's not mine. It's yours. Leave me alone. <laughs> Um, right, you've done your job. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then when I said, well, you know what, finally, I, I, I think I'm going to go back into studying a little bit again. And uh, and she welcomed the project. And she, both my parents were like, well, well, go for it. And um, at the time, the the finances were not an issue. And then I came here. Uh, I didn't really think about Issues like living alone. I was so happy to. <laughs> all you ever wanted. <laughs> right. Be away and, and all the rest of it. But yeah, it used to. And I arrived 
Um, it wasn't much of a struggle um, apart from the, um, the weather. Um, I was like, what is this country where it rains all the time? <laughs> um, and um, yeah, that, that, that was that. And, um, and I found things actually on an academic level a lot easier. Okay, interesting. So um, that's it, really. Yeah, and it went very well because, like you said, like you yeah. enjoyed yourself in the UK, in London. Uh, you already mentioned all the good things about it. Um, and you successfully completed it. As you said, it was a bit easier for you. So at what point did you then decide you were going to continue with a PhD? Were there any supervisors involved who like encouraged you? Or was it your family who agreed with you that you should stay away? <laughs> or just your research interests? Well, I would say that I've been uh, encouraged by uh, a lot of lecturers, a lot of my lecturers and a lot of, uh, and a couple of them are my supervisors now. Okay. Um, to pursue a, um, a career into research because when I was doing my, my MA dissertation, my MA research project, um, I discovered anyway that I was a good researcher. And, and um, although at the time I was like, well, after this master, I'm so done with studying. Uh, after receiving my, my grade for my dissertation and the, um, my MA with distinction, I, I was proud of myself. And I was like, you know what? You can just push a little bit and, um, and go for a PhD. And, and this is what I did. And um, and when I applied, it, it went smoothly. I mean, I applied to other universities as well, and I was also very successful there. But I decided to come back to London Metropolitan University because it was my former university, and they were offering me a discount. Oh, so that's interesting. So, and I was like, well, you know, I can do a PhD everywhere, and uh, it's. It's even better if I, I get the discount. So, and then so I came here. You also have the, those lecturers who were so um, supportive before that could now be your supervisors, which you might not have had yes. in another place, which is always very important. I've spoken to a lot of uh, researchers, young researchers, and uh, the support is definitely very important. So that's really great Indeed. to hear. Yeah, I really have great, great supervisors. Yeah. So tell me more about the PhD and your research projects. What is it you're focusing on exactly? Right. <laughs> Let me start by saying this. Um, that sort of research interest in, in um, I would call them lingua francas, um, languages that are spoken by people from, from um, the same country or the same area who don't necessarily share the same ethnic languages these are called lingua francas so basically my my uh, interest uh, regarding those lingua francas is is related to my interest in languages to start with mm -hmm. i hear that and um and um and my interest in um, 
cultural life in general. So basically, when I was doing my MA, um, and my MA dissertation, my MA research project, it was about uh, a social media account, a Facebook account called Ndemjitakesh. I don't know if Ndemjitakesh still exists because I left Facebook. Okay. But anyway, it was um, a social media account um, telling um, stories that happen in, in communal taxis in Cameroon because in Cameroon we have communal taxis, which is very, very different. It's like taking a Uber and sharing it with a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of people. So um, we have that in Cameroon and... Um, the guy who was running the account was telling new stories of of stories that happened in those communal taxis in 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 Camfrangle, uh, Camfrangle, which is another lingua franca spoken in Cameroon. And my my thing was to determine how this account contributed to the construction of a of a Cameroonian online identity. All right. And when I was Coming towards the end of my study of that account, I discovered Man United in Pichin. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, if I ever do a PhD, I'm going to work on, on that account. I'm not a, a Man United fan, not at all. No? I'm, a, I'm not a Premier League fan, to be honest. I'm a, a Liga fan, uh, and my favorite club is Barce- Barcelona. All right. Fair so, uh, but I I found it quite interesting to have this unofficial account um, telling news, um, giving news and commentaries about the Manchester Manchester United football club uh, and players ex- exclusively in Pidgin English, which is another lingua franca spoken in in throughout Western Africa. So, and I was like, well. I got in touch with the with the account and said, "Well, I want to write a research proposal about your your account," and uh, and and I started it all. So that's how the everything started. Have they been cooperative? The people behind this uh, non-official account, right? Yes, they've they've been very very cooperative. I mean, I I emailed them. Uh, when I was writing the research proposal, um, and I said, okay, yes, go ahead. And then when I started, I emailed them again saying, well, I started and I want to interview the owner of, of the account. And um, he replied to me saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you can interview me. I'm on, I'm on WhatsApp. And he gave me his number. Wow. So, yeah. So we chat every now and again. And nice. Yeah, it's, it, it works pretty well. And then another question I just had in my mind right now, um, you're looking to social media accounts, obviously it's unofficial, it's in Pidgin, uh, English, and um, you're looking into these different languages, and it's about Manchester, which is soccer, uh, sports. So what does all of that have to do with identity? Well, I mean, identity to start with is a complex thing. I mean, it, it takes into account a lot of different things. It can be... Um, things that are fixed. I mean, your the color of your skin, for example, to people, to things that you may do today, and then 
and like today and not like and, and, and not like tomorrow or the day after. So uh, I think the connection to identity is really um, into the, the social the social sphere of of the of the account is taking into consideration uh, the fandom how fandom is constructed how cultural identity is constructed how people display their identity on social media regarding different different uh, subjects and the subject matter for example may be the language they use or the clubs they support or the country where they live and and so on and so forth so my my study is really at the intersection of four uh, major areas of 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 investigation the first one being globalization or localization globalization is, mm-hmm. is a word that was created by globalization expert is uh, it's coining um global and localization so blending a global experience to satisfy local needs, which is what Pidgin English does. Like we have the Manchester United Football Club global experience, which is localized through the use of Pidgin English to satisfy or to embody the needs of a local Nigerian or West African population. Then you have the cultural identity, of course, related to Western Africa and Nigeria. Uh, and you have social media use. So it's everything together. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's working on migration studies, um, identity always comes back, right? Because um, who are migrants and, and why do people respond so strongly to them? It often has to do with identity. Cultural identity is a big part of it, too. Uh, so I liked hearing that. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. So that was more about the topic of your PhD. But what I'm also interested in is if there were any things during your PhD that you really struggled with during the actual process, right? And do you have any tips of how you overcame that or how someone could? Oh my God. Set up. Uh, <laughs> I had a, I think I had a, a couple of struggles. I mean... The highlights of my struggles are related to, first of all, my mental health. Okay. Because um, PhD, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't want to say, don't do this home. But anyway, <laughs> I hear you. PhD can be a very, very uh, lonely journey. And it's so, I wouldn't say difficult. It's nothing to do with the fact that it's difficult, but it's, unusual is nothing compared to what you've ever done in your whole academic process so having is you you feel a bit alone in an island and and at first when i started my phd i was doing a lot because I'm, i'm i'm a bit of a workaholic anyway so i was doing a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot and i always felt like it was never enough and i think on a couple of occasions i said to either my my brother or my mother you know what i think i'm gonna stop this thing because i need to take care of myself and uh, and my brother i remember my brother saying to me if you stop you may regret it mm-hmm. i guess it was right but anyway i i always every year except this year and last year i always had a 
the year when I would say to myself, a period when I would say to myself, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm not going to... I'm not going to continue this. Um, I need. I need to. I'm. I'm doing this nine to five job, um, for which I'm not paid for. Mm. So you really struggled with the part where it wasn't like a nine to five job because you didn't walk into an office at nine and left it at five again. What you did was you just kept working nonstop. Yeah. But you also need to take care of yourself, right? There's this thing as self care. So how did you get out of that vicious cycle? I guess at the end of the my, at the end of my second year, I thought, well, you know, you're good at it. You're in control. Um, stop listening to your imposter. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a good researcher. Um, it's fine. You you you're, you're done collecting your data. You're done analyzing them. You could take to to two days um, off every week uh, it, it won't have a great damage on your on your phd it's fine and and i'm i'm a lot a, li- a lot more relaxed this year in my final okay. year I, where i actually say well you know i can go to the park and walk the whole day and play tennis i can i can spend i can play tennis i can spend um a few a few hours doing nothing at all um this is i mean it, it i really i think i realized that i need to flush my mind every now and again and it's all right not to do anything at all mm-hmm. uh, because i used to feel so guilty when i wasn't working on my research and and i'm, I'm not like that anymore since july 2020 i would say there was just this turning point. So would you say that the voice of the imposter in your mind has become quieter? It's, it's gone. Wow. I would say this. It's, I would say it's gone. That's great. Okay, so your brother might have had something to do with that? Yes, of course. <laughs> nice. Of course. I mean, um, it's always not... F- not full of advice because he's a very quiet person, but I listen a lot and and when it's necessary, he offers feedback. And I, I remember him saying to me, knowing you, you will probably spend your whole life thinking what would have happened if I had completed my PhD. So don't stop. Um, so yeah. And, He's a, he's a, he's a valuable uh, person in my life. Great. Very important. Family or friends uh, to pull you through. Great. So you mentioned that this is supposedly your last year of your PhD. When are you supposed to finish? <laughs> well, I'm supposed to submit my thesis by September. Okay. Um, and then wait. Wait for, for it to... Um, I mean, wait for my viva to be scheduled and all the rest of it. Um, at the moment, I'm I'm in the, in the process of um, writing my thesis. Um, I've have so far I've drafted seven chapters. Wow, impressive! Uh, because my 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 thesis will have eight chapters, 
and out of those eight chapters I've drafted seven of them and uh, this week I think I'm gonna write the conclusion which is the eighth chapter. That's exciting. So how are you preparing for your PhD defense in September? Oh my god, this is probably the most um, stressful uh, highlights of my of my research career because I, I really I really really don't know how it's gonna go and I'm so anxious and uh, already I, mean, I don't know yeah <laughs> I'm already anxious I'm like oh my god and, it, and I don't know how this how how long it lasts where you are but here is three hours wow so <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm like Am I going to be able to to talk? Am, am I going to be too stressed out with with the whole process and and lose my words and all the rest of it? And yeah, I mean, I'm 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 stressed. <laughs> Will I'm your stressed brother out. be there? Will your brother be there for some emotional support? I mean, I don't I don't think so. I mean, uh, due to COVID nineteen. Um, Survivors are done remotely at the moment. Okay. In the UK, anyway, and even if yeah, not done remotely. Um, in the UK, the process is really, really different. The, the only person, I mean, the candidate is is about the only person who is allowed in All right. the defence room, um, apart from your supervisors. But that's about it. Okay, well, I wish you the best of luck with preparing for that. I would say maybe you should at least talk to your brother before it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it all leads to my next question, which is the most important one. After the PhD, what are you going to do with that? Do you see yourself continue <laughs> in academia or maybe working in industry? Ideally, I want to continue in academia. Ideally. But I'm 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 open to most possibilities to be honest. Um but ideally I would I would like to do a postdoc um in 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 the UK or elsewhere. Um I would like to teach um I would like to do some more research. Um yeah, I mean academia would be the goal, but you never know. Yeah, of course, it's uh, it's not an easy path. Have you been applying for any postdoc positions yet? Not yet. I haven't because usually, I mean, most of the the advertisements I've I've seen related to to postdoc, you need to have your PhD anyway. Mm-hmm. So and and I I don't have it yet. So, but I'm gonna apply. Can I apply? Yeah, and maybe that way it will give you some more breathing space to just focus on the defense right now and think about everything else yeah. only afterwards. So maybe it's a good thing. So good luck with that too. <laughs> Thank you. And as you have answered that question, uh, the what are you going to do with that? I'd like to wrap up with another few short questions. Yeah. And the first one of those would be, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> um, I will start by saying that there isn't, there isn't a lot 
of um, literature addressing the question of sport fandom in um, West Africa um, and the study of um, West African football fandom on the internet and uh, and social media has until now been glossed over and I guess my, my research fits into that gap and also in the fact that uh, with my research I found out that um, Man United in Pigeon has created a real sense of identity within uh, a cyber community. Um, it has formed an environment similar to um, there is a, a researcher, Cameroon, um, a Nigerian, sorry, a Nigerian researcher called Onyebuke, who came up with a football viewing center. Um, a football viewing center is, uh, I don't know if you have any. S- anything like that in the UK but in Cameroon and in Nigeria we have uh, pubs and bars where uh, people come together to watch football matches and they are called football viewing centers Uh, and with that account um, um, MUIP has created a a real football viewing center thereby creating a virtual stadium uh, that provides entertainment and socializing platforms uh, to Nigerian and, and, and West African Manchester United football clubs fan. And um, yeah, this is the most, there are a lot of findings, but this is, I think, the most uh, significant one. Yeah, of course. Uh, if I would ask you for all the findings and all the eight chapters, it would yeah. take a while. But this sounds like a very good one as the most important one. The next question is, who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a difficult one. You can take your time. It's all right. I think I would say I would say my both my supervisors and and the academic career and I would say they're not only great academics they're also very good human beings and they're very supportive and um, I mean I'm, I feel I feel very very lucky when I use when I sometimes go on Twitter and um, and read tweets about academia um, and people uh, complaining about their supervisors I, f- I feel very very lucky to have this sort of of human resources in in those two individuals who enable me not only to uh, grow as a as an academic person but also as a social person if I may say it that way as a as a as a whole person because they are they are great researcher and they are kind and considerate and they always uh, think about me and what I, I need uh, both in my research or outside my research and um, this is I mean I guess I want to be like them if I'm ever uh, into academia at some point. So they are really your role models in a way. Yes. Great. And then we've come to the last question I'm going to ask today, which is how do you relax after a hard day of work? Um, I go to the gym and which is, which is what I will probably do after our little chat. Um, I'll go to the gym. Um, 
I spent an hour and a half or two hours there and um, yeah. Every day? That's quite that's intense. Five days a week. Wow. Five days a week, yeah. Sometimes even six days a week. But for you it's relaxing. Yes. That's important. All right. Well, thank you so much, Wally, for chatting with me today. And of course, also a thank you to the audience for listening again. This was episode 15 of our second season. And if you only recently started listening, check out the earlier episodes. And if you're with us from the very beginning already, check out our social media accounts every now and then to see what's happening next. All right. And Wally, you actually found us on social media. How did you... Find us about the video and send us your yourself singing and answering the question of why you are doing a PhD. I guess it was in, um, it must have been in uh, December, I think so. Um, because I follow a lot of academic accounts on Twitter and, and um, your question came up with uh, what are you, what are you do, why are you doing a PhD? And um, and I said, oh, that's interesting. And I followed the account, and I, I think I replied, and I sent the videos, and that's how I heard about the, the account, really. Um, so now yeah. you're following us, and you're also on our yes. YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of fun. 